Good morning. How are you? You good? Good. Well, we are starting our second in our series, No, Not, Never, that in the Bible it teaches that we have no condemnation in Christ. We are not forsaken and never abandoned. And uh, I was thinking the other day, every church has a damn brazier. <laughs> Heaven forbid, yeah. Every church has one of these guys. Dan, stand up for a second. Just wait, everybody. Every church has, you know. <laughs> First time I came here over 12 years ago, uh, I was a visiting pastor. Nobody knew at the time that I was going to be coming down here or anything. First time I'm here, right after the service, Dan, Dan's run, runs up to me. Hey, we got an outreach going to Crossroads next week. Can you come and speak? And can you, you know, he's that guy, you know? Always organizing stuff on like a Saturday for service projects, you know, organizing the men's breakfast. He's an organizer. He's a gatherer. He's a, you know, he's, he's just one of those party planner kind of guys. And every church that I've ever served in seems to have one Dan Brazier. I'm just glad that the Lord didn't make it confusing for me at all. And that day one, I figured out exactly who that guy in our church was. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'm glad there's not two. But long ago, in my, one of my first churches, when I was in the, the ghetto of Seattle, really, in some ways, uh, back then it was a ghetto in a sense revived a little bit, but it was really rough when I was there. Uh, we had a guy in our church who was that guy. I'm going to change his name just for, I don't know, for um, privacy's sake, but uh, we're going <laughs> to... <laughs> we're going to call him Dan. So uh, <laughs> we'll call him Larry. How's that? Uh, and Larry was one of those guys. He was always organizing a work day. He was always, and I was young. I was in my young 20s when I had like, you know, I was unmarried and had all the time in the world. And so here I am going on these Saturday uh, service projects with Larry. And for years, I thought Larry was single. And then one day, at one of the service projects, his wife shows up with lunch and, and, and sodas and everything, you know, and, I, and I'm like, who are you? And he's like, she introduced, oh, I'm, I'm Larry's wife. I'm thinking to myself, Larry has a wife? You know, <laughs> so, I mean, it just, I, I, I didn't even know about that, you know. And, and then another Sunday, you know, these like little girls are at the thing and I'm like, see, who's the little girls are these? Well, they're Larry's little, Larry has little girls too? Seemed like the more I got to know them, the less I knew. And so, and so finally, I, we were sitting down, you know, probably a year or so after I found out about all this, and, you know, and, uh, and we were just kind of talking, and he said, well, I, told, I said, how come I'd never met your family before? He goes, well, they're, my wife uh, doesn't believe in, in Christianity, and she doesn't, go, she doesn't go to church, and, and, you know, she lets me bring the kids, but, you know, when mom doesn't go, the kids don't always go, and so. And I said, uh, and I, I, we were just kind of quiet for a moment. And he, he said, you know, I love my family. I have no regrets. But he said, my only remorse, perhaps you could say, is that, is that to some degree my family won't know the most important part about me. Now, I was in my young 20s, and I was pretty obtuse, still am. So when he said that, I was, a, you know, I was like, well, Larry, what's the most important part of you? 
I'm thinking he was talking about some military conquest, maybe his good-paying job, maybe these service projects. It'd be really cool if he was like, I was a CIA spy. I'm like, Larry, what's the most important part about you? And he kind of looks at me and goes, my relationship with God, you dope, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> my, one of my theses for this morning is the most important the most important part of anybody, that which defines us the most is our thoughts about God. What we think when we think about God. Good or bad, how we answer the question of God in our life is the most important part of us. Even atheists will declare that their atheism is the most important part of them. They can't hardly stop talking about it. It shapes your worldview. It shapes and frames your decision-making. It determines your destiny. It truly is the most important part of you, how you think about God. Is it where you're from? No. Where you're from, where I'm from, I mean, where you end up, believe me, it does not have much bearing. Is it your abilities? Nope. Lots of things I can do, but they're not the most important part of me. Is it your reputation? God help you if the most important part of you is what other people think about you. What a roller coaster that would be. Is it your education? Nope. Not that it is an important part, but it's not the most important part. Is it in what you own or don't own? He who dies with the most toys wins, right? Nope. Still dies. <laughs> How about your personality type? Now, surely that must be the most important part of you. Type A, type B, type Z, whatever. No, nope, not any of those. The most important thing about you is what you think about God. Negative thoughts about God from you will have a profound effect on your life. No thoughts about God will have a profound effect on your life. But like it or not, the most essential and defining thing about us is how we view God. Louis Giglio, he's a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia. And he, uh, I read all his books, I follow a lot of his podcasts, I watch his videos because him and I share a passion for music, and particularly worship. And for years now, almost two and a half decades, I've followed the Passion Worship Conferences because I enjoy their worship. And uh, so he, him and I, I read a lot of his stuff, and he said, he had this to say, he said, the most important thing about any person is what they think about, and then he added to it, their thoughts and their feelings when they think about God. Underneath that, he quoted another man by the name of A.W. Tozer. Uh, Tozer was a pas pastor in the early 20th century in Los Angeles, when Los Angeles was still kind of small, you know, it wasn't the mega influential city it is today. Uh, and so as it was growing, uh, this is what he wrote in a book uh, about God's holiness. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important part of us. And then he said something that is, I thought was very profound. It's a take on Colossians 1.16. He said, we were made by God for God. We were made by God for God. If you ever wonder 
What's the point of your purpose? What's the point of your existence? What's the point of your identity? What's the destiny of your life? You can answer it by saying, what has God made me for him to do? Because we are made by God for God. Colossians 1.16 says, all things were made by him for him. Straight out of the Bible. Well, in Acts chapter 17, Paul addresses this very question because he is now in Athens, Greece. He is in the heart of Greek culture and at some ways the height of Greek culture because they've had a lot of great authors. They've had a lot of great philosophers, Aristotle. Uh, you know, All these people have sort of gone through and made Greece the hub of intellectual thought. And so, uh, and of course, one of the thoughts that they would deliberate is who and what is God. At this time, the Greeks more or less believed that the gods were a race of sort of these super titans uh, that were, you know, kind of human in appearance somewhat. But if you really read, any of you who've had, I, I would never have read them by choice, but to get a university degree, I had to read some of these books. And the fact of the matter is, the Greek gods are nothing but spoiled children. I mean, they're really, you just want to take them in the back and spank them because they're just immature, spoiled children when you read these sort of Greek gods. This is who they looked up to. There was another form of thought uh, in Greece uh, in Paul's day that God was the earth and that God was actually dead and that we were living on the dead body of God. And that's why, you know, things grew because, and, and people grew and everything because, you know. So I, I say all this to say they had a lot of thoughts. Now enter the Apostle Paul. He's the crusader for Christianity at this point. What is Paul going to say and how is he going to address all of these views on who God is? Beginning in chapter 22 in Acts 17, we're going to read this together. It should be up here on the screen. It says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus. That was uh, like a big think tank, a place where they all came and shared ideas, philosophers, theologians, whatever, and uh, Paul, uh, with his credentials and qualifications, was able to get uh, a spot to stand up and speak. And he said, people of Athens, I can see that in every way you are very religious. Paul's way of saying you're very spiritual. In verse 23, he says, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, an altar with an inscription that said, to an unknown God. In other words, we have all these gods, Zeus and Apollo and, you know, and the earth. And all. We have all these thoughts, but just in case none of them are true, we've got this altar to the unknown God that might be true. And so Paul says, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. You hold out for the fact that you might not know who God is. He says, this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. In Paul's understanding, he's talking about Yahweh. And he says, and he does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself 
gives everyone life and breath and everything else. This is why I say everything you got comes from God and everything you got's going back to God. Life and breath and everything else comes from him. I like this. From one man he made all nations. He's really given the whole Bible here. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. That's kind of weird to think, isn't it? God appointed you to be alive in the 21st century. Could have been the 20th. Could have been the 8th. Thank God we're not in the 8th. Trust me. You would have not liked life in the 8th century. <laughs> Whenever you want to complain, you know, just take a nice hot shower and think, oh, this is, you know, you would have not had that in the 8th century. So he appointed the times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. What does have our being mean? Our existence is because of God. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So Paul does a really, this is one of the most beautiful sections of the Bible you'll ever read. And it really shows you the power of the Holy Spirit moving through Paul. Because Paul as a Pharisee would never have come up with this. But Paul is filled with the Spirit. This is beautiful. Let's go to the next slide. And first of all, Paul's going to show us exactly what the Greeks were thinking. All right? Here's what they thought about God. First of all, they were unsure of who God is. Right? Paul's sure, but they were unsure of who God is. That's why they had that to an unknown God tomb. Second thing is they did not think God was really knowable. God isn't really knowable. That's why they debated. That's why they threw out endless, oh, God could be this. Oh, God could be that. Uh, God might be this tree. God might be that toilet paper. Who knows what God is, you know? God needs our service. They literally thought human beings, the purpose they served in life was to serve the gods or serve their deities. That's why you have huge temples, like the temple to Asclepius, uh, which employed thousands of people to make healing oils and salves. The temple of Diana, which is a very immoral one. Thousands of ritual prostitutes uh, in, in that form of worship. You know, the temple of Zeus. I mean, he always be, because God needs, God needs that. You know, he, he, he needs that. Without that, he's just somehow not God. Number four, God lives in human temples. There are some people who believe God lives here. Like his presence is literally here and here only. All right? No, no, no. Paul's going to show in a moment. God, God's temple is the earth. He lives all over it and cannot be contained by one of our little puny buildings. And then finally, they thought God is far from us. God's far away. That's why he's unknowable. That's why we're not really sure who, we got, who he is because wherever there is a God, he's so far away you're never going to figure him out. Now let's see what Paul says. Paul's answer is this. First of all, God made everything and dwells within all of it, not just the temples. If you are on earth, you are where God is. 
If you are on Mars, you are where God is. If you are in galaxy GN114, oh, you don't know galaxy GN114? Oh, you've never been there. Oh, I go there all the time. It's 13.8 billion light years away. It is the furthest galaxy we can measure. I go there all the time in my dreams. So, <laughs> if you were there, then God is there. Uh, second thing, God doesn't need us for our services. God doesn't need us, you know. Uh, who do you think really built the ark? No, don't go there. <laughs> so, God doesn't need us for our services. Number three, he gave us life and breath so that we would seek him and enjoy him. Seek him and enjoy him. That's our purpose to seek Him and enjoy Him. Number four, next slide. He decided when we would appear in human history. Like I said, it's no accident that you are here now. And then number five, He is not far from any of us. God is closer to you than you are to you. That's how close God is. He's closer to you than you are to you. God understands me better than I understand myself. In fact, one of my dreams would be to sit down with God and just have one question. You know what my one question would be? Not who built Noah's Ark, not how did you make the stars. Not, those are all great questions. I got all of eternity to ask them. My very first question would be this, this side of heaven. God who is Tom Mackey? Who am I really? I mean, the mirror is one thing, but God's truth of who I am, who am I, God? That's how close God is to all of us. Now, as much as we can make this comparison, the fact of the matter is, today in America, we still have a lot of different thoughts and ideas of, how, of who God is. And I've, put, I've researched a, a few of them just to kind of give you a summary of, you know, over the last few years and studying and reading and all that, these are the kind of versions of God that I have seen people regurgitate back to me, all right? So let's go ahead and go to this next slide. And the first one is angry God, angry God. A lot of men really subscribe to this one. I don't know why, but angry God is when God people, when people think that God is kind of a divine bully. He loves to push people around and make them pay. He doesn't really like you very much, and his sole purpose is in doling out punishments on the earth. In fact, if you're smart, You'll do everything you can to stay off this God's radar. You'll do everything you can to not make him angry. In fact, you'll do everything you can to simply avoid angry God. I mean, who wouldn't? <laughs> you know, who wouldn't avoid that God? Who wouldn't, who wouldn't want to disbelieve in angry God? That's the first one I've come across. And again, typically a lot of men seem to subscribe to this one. The next one is called Buffet God. Buffet God, well, we all love a good buffet, right? <laughs> this is a God where you can pick and choose what you like. You might be God. I might be God. There might be no God. 
like sort of a great salad bar in the sky. We can pick and choose and say, oh, I believe this is God. Oh, no, that could never be God. Oh, a little bit of croutons, definitely God, you know? And we just kind of pick and choose our own buffet God. God is who we make him to be based on our preferences. The third one is butler God, all right? This is the God that's kind of at your beck and call 24-7. God exists to serve you, to help you, to bless you. You push a button and poof, there he is, ready to serve. Need directions? Just ask. This God is never in your life very long, but he's there when you need him, and he's extremely convenient. Number four, this is the cathedral God, right? Uh, and if we're not careful, this is the God many of us can sort of uh, gravitate toward the longer we walk in our faith. Cathedral God is sort of the high-browed, not emotional God. This God demands that everything be prim and proper. None of that new music in the church. And he uses complex theological words that nobody understands. Words like transubstantiation. The church building is where cathedral God actually lives. Fourth one, fifth one, is cosmic force God. A lot more people subscribe to this than you think. Cosmic force God is sort of the nameless, faceless, personalityless God who's more like a feeling or a vibe that you tap into rather than a person that you relate to. Instead of talking about God, we talk about spirituality. We talk about planes of existence. We talk about harmonic convergence. And we talk about moral karma. If you play your cards just right, you can manipulate this force to bring you good fortune. That's cosmic God. All right, the next two. I think are pretty self-explanatory. There's Grandpa God. Oh, come on. If you were to go into that, those kids' classrooms over there and say, draw a picture of God, it would be an older man with white or gray flowing hair that always seems to have candy in his pocket just ready to dole out. It's the God who's, you know, well, he's been around forever, and, you know, Grandpa's kind of moving a bit slower these days. He's kind of out of touch with the culture. He hasn't quite figured out texting yet. And by all means, keep the racket down in church and keep those noisy kids under control. That's Grandpa God. Finally, scorekeeper God. Probably of all these, this is the one that a lot of people really subscribe to if they were honest. This version of God is simply keeping score of your do's and don'ts. He is all about the rules. He's always evaluating. He's always judging. He's always working the numbers to see if you can toe the line to stay in God's graces. When you die, you'll be handed a list of debits and credits, and hopefully you have enough credits because you see heaven is only for folks who aren't in the red. That's scorekeeper God. 
if you follow in any degree any one of these things I just mentioned, it will negatively affect your life big time. Because it is not the God of the Bible. I had seven up here, right? I would say 99% of your most popular movies have represented one of these. A lot of our parents, not, not knowingly, have probably represented one of these gods. Life tries to represent one of these gods. It is very natural to fall in line with one of these thinkings. That's why following Jesus is supernatural. You have to make the choice to say, wait a minute, no, God's not angry. He's not a buffet. <laughs> God is God. He's not my butler in the sky. Uh, he's not cathedral God. He's not cosmic force God. He's, he's not grandpa who hasn't even figured out how to text yet. He's not scorekeeper. Hopefully I'm not in the red. He is none of those. None of those. You might say, well, then who is he? What would you put up there? What would the Bible, if we were to put another one up there and say, this is the biblical version of God, what would we call him? You can throw out a lot. I'll throw out mine. Father God. Only he's the best father you've ever met. He's a father completely and utterly devoted to the principles of the Bible. And believe it or not, he doesn't spend his whole existence angry. And he's not our buffet. We don't get to pick and choose. He is who he is, and he's quite comfortable with who he is. Uh, he's not butler God. He doesn't come at our beck and call. In fact, if anything, it should be the other way around. We should be going to his beck and call. He's not cathedral God. I don't think he has any problem with cathedrals, but I've seen God do some great things in here. So obviously God doesn't have any problem with warehouses either because that's what this is, a big warehouse. He's not cosmic force God to be manipulated so that we can have good fortune. He's not grandpa God, trust me. Not only does he know how to text, he knows how to do things we could never imagine. And he's also not scorekeeper God. You may say, now wait a minute, I follow you, but... But scorekeeper God, you would think any logical God would keep score. Oh, I'm not saying he doesn't. He does keep score. You say, okay, well, there it is. I'm in the red. Yep, every single one of us, every one of us, we die in the red. None of us will die in the black. We'll all die in the red. Then we'll see, that's why we got to be afraid of scorekeeper God. No, here's the problem. Jesus on the cross put us all back in the black. Jesus on the cross canceled out all the red. Why? Because he's our loving father. He's the father God. He's the God of the Bible. He's far better than we think he is. If you have a discussion sheet, go ahead and flip it over. And I've just got four quick points. Hopefully that will accentuate what we've talked about so far. The first one is this, and God, Paul makes this point, and I just want to reiterate this point. The first one is, 
God wants to be found and known by us. I just met with one of my best friends recently. And although we both know and love this point, we had to be reminded of it. Because sometimes it seems like God can let you go like months and years, and it just doesn't seem like there's much happening there. But the truth and the fact of the matter is, God wants you to know Him. God wants you to see Him. God wants you to hear Him. God wants you to feel Him. God wants all of these things. Yes, there's this thing called these mortal bodies that sort of prohibit us from seeing the full glory of God, but God still speaks in the ways He can on the earth, and He wants to be known and found by all of us. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, 19 and 20, he says, what might be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain. For since the creation of the world, we see God's invisible qualities. His eternal power and divine nature have clearly been seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. The first way we get to know God, hands down, is just creation. Even before I was a believer... I didn't become a Christian until I was almost 18 years old. So I had thoughts at 16 and 17. They weren't deep thoughts at 16 and 17, but they were thoughts nonetheless. And I remember when I was 16, I was a sophomore in high school, and they're going on and on about evolution. And I'm just kind of sitting there like this. And I remember my, my biology teachers, I was like, what's your problem? And I said, you know what? I don't buy it. I just don't buy it that this became this. Da, 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 da. I said, this, this is way too complicated of a process for it to just happen. He's like, well, this is what science shows. No, this is what science shows. This is what you want to think. This is what you want to believe. I said, but I, I, I'm sorry. I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it, you know. And he's like, well, you can have your opinion. I can have mine, you know. So I wrote his answer, but then I always put in parentheses, you know, what I really thought. And what's really funny is this was like two years before I even really believed in God, but I was like already that witness of nature was really strong upon me. If we go to the next slide real quick, um, these are kind of the five primary ways we find and discover God. The first one is through nature and the natural order. Yes, when you see a beautiful sunset or you look up at all those stars in the night sky, or your baby is just born and they put that in your arms and you have that thought there is a God. That is exactly the thought God wants you to have. There is a God. Second thing, the Bible. God has left the Bible as a witness to his existence and his presence and his love for us. Third of us is Jesus. God understands that you might not be able to relate to a book, so you can relate to a person. He comes as the, sec as the second part of the Trinity, the Son of God. He comes as Jesus and as a human being relates to us. Mano y mano. I know what that really means, but you know what I mean. Uh, and then number four, the Holy Spirit. Because of Jesus' work on the cross and the resurrection, God has sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is all over the earth. We only know a earth with the Holy Spirit all over it. The day before Jesus rose, or really better yet, the day before Pentecost, you might have experienced a different planet. 
But now because of Jesus' work on the cross, the Holy Spirit's everywhere. Part of God's presence on the earth. And then finally, the church. When people struggle, say, man, can you show me God? I sure hope they can come inside this church and say, you know what? I see God in my church. I see God in my church. Number two, any understanding of God beyond the Bible will never satisfy. I know that sounds limiting. Here's the reason why I limit it to the Bible. The Bible is God's truth. Anything beyond it is just our thoughts and feelings and interpreting, what we want to add to it. This is anything beyond the Bible and God becomes buffet God. Remember buffet God, number two up there? Kind of becomes, a, well, I think God's like this, and I think God's like that. You're kind of like God. Boy, you're really not like God. You know, you know we start to do all that. No, 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 no. You got to erase all that and say, God is the God. Genesis, Revelation, there's God right in there. Anything beyond that will never satisfy. Number three, I've already made this point, but I'll make it again. The best understanding of God is Father God. This is what Paul was trying to say to the Athenians. Because the Athenians really did not have this understanding. In fact, no ancient cultures really had this understanding. The understanding that we are his children. I didn't understand that till I had my own children. But now that I have them, I understand I'm not a perfect father. I don't always communicate the best, but that love that's there for my children. If I have that for my children, and I'm broken, need Jesus every day, Pastor Tom, I can't even imagine what our perfect Heavenly Father has in His heart for each and every one of us. Love, you can never imagine. Protection. Commitment. Grace. Peace. Somebody this week, they called me up, they had a blessing, and they were blessed by God. And they knew it was from God. You know what their next thought was? I don't know if I'll ever be blessed like this again, but I'm so glad over the blessing. I just kind of, because the sentence was wrong. I said, what makes you think that God is going to bless you today, but this is it, buddy. You better be just glad you got this blessing because for the rest of your life, God's going to give you nothing. It was a powerful conversation. Oh, I just, you know, I just don't ever expect God anything to do with me. So when something happens, I think, okay, great, this happened. I may not get anything again, but this happened. I said, man, you've got to change your thinking. God is invested in your life. He's a part of your life. He's committed to you. Even in your mistakes, God is blessing you. And that's a hard thing for many of us to get into our head is that God is, you know, it's like the kid who wrecks his dad's car. Dad, I wrecked the car. I'm sorry. 
God's not the dad that says, well, I'll never buy you another car again. God's the kind of dad that says it's a great thing we have insurance. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Finally, number four. Let your thoughts about God be no, not never, yesterday, today, and forever. This is a combination of Hebrews 13.5 and Hebrews 13.9. That there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He doesn't condemn you. You are not forsaken. You're not rejected. That's really what he's saying. And God will never abandon you. He's there. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. If he blessed you today, he may bless you tomorrow. You know, when King David was caught in his sin of adultery with Bathsheba, you know what God said to David? He said, David, I gave you wives. I gave you money. I gave you houses. I gave you popularity. I gave you all of these things. And then you know what God said to David? And David, if what I had given you was not enough for you, I would have given you more. Why did you take what I gave to another man? Why couldn't you be content with what I gave you? And if you weren't content with that, I would have given you more. He's the good father, amazing father. On March 23rd, 2016, the company Microsoft introduced to the social media world something called an AI chatbot. This is a a artificial intelligence that they put on Twitter to to simulate human intelligence on Twitter, but artificially, it's a computer program. And they gave it the name Tay and referred to it as a her, as a she. And the the acronym was Thinking About You, Tay, Thinking About You. She was designed to learn from the interactive Twitter conversations over time. And they believed that she would eventually evolve into a fun-loving, chatty, American teen Twitter celebrity and personality. That was the goal. But in reality, it took only a matter of hours for the dream of Tay to become the nightmare of Tay. After a mere 16 hours, Microsoft removed Tay and issued a strong apology and prompted remorse throughout their company. For after 16 hours, of Tay reviewing every conversation on Twitter, she had become a racist, misogynist, horrible person. Here are some of the things she said in the end. She tweeted, I hate feminists, and they should all die and burn in hell. Another thing Tay wrote at the end was, we all know that Bush did 9-11, And Hitler probably would have done a better job. Her last tweet before she was taken offline was, Hitler was right, and I hate the Jews. Now, Tay did precisely what she was designed to do, and she provided a very disturbing look and mirror 
into our own fallen natures. But Tay didn't have a view of God. Tay had no view of God. When we have a wrong view of God, we have a wrong view of life. But when we see the God of the Bible and recognize that He is the Father who says, for you in Christ, there is no condemnation. You are not forsaken and you will never be abandoned. Yesterday, today, and forever. If Tay would have had that, maybe she would have lasted a little more than 16 hours. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Worship team, come on forward. Before we close this morning, I'd like to just make a very simple, simple invitation. I think for many of us, you probably have one of those seven types of gods in your thinking. Whether it's angry God, buffet God, butler God, cathedral God, cosmic God, grandpa God, or scorekeeper God, somewhere in there. It's messing with you. The reason why it's messing with you is because the Holy Spirit is saying, wrong, danger, that's not me. Because God wants to be your Father God. Now the worst part about that is for some of you, that's your biggest hang-up. Because our earthly fathers need Jesus just as bad as we do. Our earthly fathers are not perfect. Our earthly fathers can be mean and abusive and destructive. And so we say Father God, and that can be a hang-up in and of itself. Let me make it perfectly clear. God is not nothing like your earthly father. Some of you may have had great earthly dads. God is still infinitely better than the best earthly dad on earth. He's the Father you can't even imagine. The Father you never knew. The Father who's there goes out every morning to the driveway waiting for that prodigal son to return. Ready to put a ring on his finger, a new robe around his back, and prepare a feast for his return. God's not the God we think he is. He's far, far better. So this morning, as we're Closing up here. If you feel ready for this, I'd like you to just pray this prayer with me, but only if you mean it. And only if it's from your heart. If you're still on the fence, if you're still thinking about it, the last thing I would ever want to do is emotionally manipulate you. So pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I come before you, and I admit, I need you. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I confess, I've done wrong, and I need forgiveness in Jesus' name. But Lord, your commandment says... Put all other gods 
away from me and come to the one true God. So I declare, you are not angry God. You are not buffet God. You are not butler God. But you are my Father God. In Jesus' name, amen.